Ego consciousness is not, is not, it doesn't make sense rationally. These dark uh, fascistic forces are inside of all of us. Uh, the, the desire for tissue damage and, and expulsing of another, that is part of our conditioning because we're animals, fundamentally. Animals that have been socialized. So what happens is they just uh, become that part of themselves. Eric Byrne called it the little fascist. And they go and they terrorize, okay, to feel better about themselves. Consciousness. The notion of the self. Personality structure. Transactional analysis. Symbiosis. Zen Buddhism. Teacher-student. Relationships. Training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space? The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. On March 15, 2023, Andrew confesses to an in-person audience of well over 200 social service workers with others watching virtually. He was speaking at the Minnesota Social Service Association's 130th Annual Training Conference and Expo in the Hilton in Minneapolis. The title of the talk was Mass Shootings and Simulation. The lecture pointed to the intersection of media forms and types of mass violence. The imperative of big tech platforms is self-exhibitionism for self-promotion. This drives users to upload and share their spectacles for connection. The despair and agitation of the mass shooter is based on unmet connection. Their solution is violence and an exhibitionistic suicide. The medium of the virtual world provides a frictionless means to share the spectacle for notoriety. Andrew continues to advocate for a social movement via a stay-at-home day on April 20th. Enjoy. I'll talk about my credentials a little bit, but the reason this... Uh, this form of lectures got started was because I have three young children. My oldest is in kindergarten, and so I'm deeply concerned about this issue for selfish reasons, but I think I have an analytical perspective on what's happening in terms of the personality structure of these mass shooters, and I've also been studying uh, the virtual world or big tech for a couple years. I was here last year talking about that subject. Um, and because this is such an emotional uh, topic, I want to start by all of us kind of accessing what they call the child ego state in transactional analysis. And so how we're going to do that is through confession. So I have something that I want to share that I'm, I'm scared to say it. You know, there's a voice in my head saying not to say it, but you're not going to leave here and want to do anything about this issue unless you believe that I'm a real person and that I really care about this issue. So here goes. I got three little kids. When all the kids go to sleep at night, I sneak off into the garage, hit a little THC once in a while. 
and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> That's what the voice says in my head. It's, you know, war on drugs. I grew up in the 80s and all that, okay? But so what I want you to do, <clears throat> you can buy it at the gas station now. Come on, don't give me those dirty looks. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what I want you to do is turn to somebody next to you, preferably somebody you don't know, and confess something and notice what happens with your body. Okay, one, two, three, go. Don't turn it into an e-harmony date or anything. Just, just say one thing. Uh, you know, my, my point was to, you know, start. <laughs> my my point was to start kind of a ruckus. I didn't I didn't know necessarily I'd do that in the first couple minutes. So that's good. All right. So so raise your hand. Raise your hand, you don't have to say what you said, but raise your hand if you confess something like real. Okay, hold your hands up, hold your hands up, okay. So the people with their hands up, you have courage, okay? And so you're the people I'm gonna be talking to predominantly in this workshop. I'm gonna to talk to everybody, but you're the ones that are gonna do something after the workshop, right? So let's, let's get into it. My background is in clinical social work. Six days a week, I do psychotherapy at a private practice, and I've been studying transactional analysis. That's the, the modality of treatment um, that I use and I focus on passive behaviors. That's something we'll talk about this afternoon. My background is in studying Zen Buddhism since 2009. Um, I have three little kids, like I mentioned. Uh, and so I've taught meditation in the community. I've taught meditation at some of the prisons in Wisconsin. I went to UW-Madison. I taught there uh, for a bit of time. And then I have a podcast, which I'll mention later. Uh, and so here's what I'm, I'm thinking for this afternoon. The smartphone, unlike the TV in the 20th century, it doesn't assemble. It isolates us. You know, I can watch TV. I can watch movies. I can do what I want to do. Um, and the issue with the virtual world is that it's sort of like a, a nice game. The uh, platforms, big tech, they're happy to help. You know, they'll manage your bank account and your calendar and your friends and your phone numbers, but on the backside, they're exploiting us. They're selling, well, first they're taking all of our data and then they're selling it to third party. Um, businesses, you know, political campaigns, governments, and more and more were 
in this symbiotic relationship. And so I'm going to talk about symbiosis, which is, relates to passivity. Um, but, you know, this isn't dystopian future thinking. You know, those of you wearing a smartwatch, does anybody know what the smart, smartwatch does? How it measures your heart rate or calories or how does it work? Has like a little light in it? It's got a light. It's got a light that can shine through your skin and measure your blood flow, light and dark. You know, because the virtual world's a binary system. So it's just code, zeros and ones. So it's predicting what your heart rate is. It's predicting based on all this analytics. So it's already inside the body. Okay, but now people like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg want us to literally be in a symbiotic relationship with uh, this tech. And I'll explain that, you know, we feel, we feel like this is our little baby. You know, that we carry around, we got the screen protector, we don't want it to die. But what's happening psychologically, <laughs> our smartphone mortality rate, uh, very high. So <laughs> what's happening is, in terms of symbiosis, think of a mother and an infant. We're actually the baby because tech is just giving us choices over and over again based on stuff we wanted before so we don't have to think we don't have to remember and so I can talk about from a psychological perspective what that does to people okay mindlessness when you're scripted to not think consider an alcoholic family system dad comes home takes off his work boots cracks a Budweiser he's not educating himself he's not taking care of himself in the Kids learn that you don't think. You either work or drink. So we're getting scripted to not think, not remember stuff. Uh, the problem with mindlessness is you start to question yourself. If you don't think at all, maybe you're going crazy. And you start to manage emotions and different things I'll talk about. So we have the mindlessness, but also joylessness. Because now in Western culture, you're just your head meaning your brain or your mind. That means we're split from the body. You know, I've studied Eastern philosophies. It's not like body and mind over here. It's body-mind. Can't have one without the other. Um, <clears throat> so in the virtual world, we're just suspended in this simple consciousness. We're not reflecting. We're just receiving information passively. It's coming into our system. I mean, if you have kids, you know when they sit down to watch Paw Patrol or Batman or whatever, it's like they're gone. There could be a fire around them. They're not there. They're in the machine, meaning they're inside their head, okay, because we experience it inside our brain. So this creates a dependency contract just like a mother and an infant, okay? So I'm going to go in depth into all of this. The punchline is... We're all, you know, I mentioned I have a podcast. Everyone has a podcast. Everyone has their profiles, their pages, their shows, their channels. We're all building these media empires of ourselves, okay, for notoriety, for self-promotion, monetary gain. And the mass shooter is doing that exact same thing. And so I want to use Columbine as an example of how these kids, and they're usually kids, they're 98% of them are male, you know, they want to be somebody. They want to be famous. They want to be a celebrity, make it in the, uh, the star-making cycle, okay? And the dom and so what I, one thing I do is uh, 
game analysis with my clients. So we figure out what are these recurring interpersonal interactions that end in this negative emotion that you keep experiencing over and over again. And so there's specific models and figures, and we'll talk a little bit about it today in transactional analysis to figure out what are the games you play. And so I have ideas about what the mass shooter is playing. It's a revenge game, is the short version. But it's specific to American culture, because remember, the school shooting specifically, that only really happens here. There's always been mass violence in different forms. And so what I'm going to connect is the, how the media and the violence depend on one another. You know, there aren't any more serial killers. Serial killers was slow and you left little hints and you got in the newspaper. Now it's all about virality and you can live stream what you're doing. So it isn't that cat and mouse game. The dominant script in American culture is what I call uh, the Top Gun script. I'm sure many of you know the most recent movie, Top Gun Maverick, but the original in the 80s. Top Gun, what's it about? It's about being the best of the best, about being the elite. So we live in this, this domain where we're all achievement subjects, where we have to optimize ourselves over and over. Mental health falls into this, this problematic notion that we're a project uh, that can be, you know, through hard work, can be refined and improved. Um, and so the, the Columbine kids were, were caught up in that. Um, Eric Harris actually studied uh, the Nazi regime. Uh, he was this, this Darwinian, you know, he thought he was superior and all these other people were inferior. So with, with Top Gun, you know, it's all about getting revenge, it's all about winning. I come first, you know, Maverick, he's on his own. You know, we're all sort of entrepreneurs now. Uh, and relationships are secondary. So getting the trophy is what it's all about in our culture, okay? The other thing about Columbine is that's the model that other mass shooters are replicating. And remember, these mass shootings, they last for about 10 or 15 minutes max. Uh, and they're over, and that's because the mass shooter is agitated. And once the agitation is resolved, they get bored. They get tired. And so then, of course, they kill themselves or they get shot um, by the police. So agitation is another passive strategy. It's an active looking uh, strategy because you see people pacing or like pulling at their hair. You know, you can tell when somebody's agitated. If, if you can't, I'll loan you my four year old. He'll, he'll show you <laughs> a couple times a day at least. Um, so it's these passive strategies uh, that are the, the issue. But so other mass shooters, they'll reference Columbine in it. Ironically, Columbine was a bombing. It was a replication of the Oklahoma City bombing, April 19th, 1995. Their bombs didn't go off. If they had, the whole school would have been incinerated. So it's performative violence. There was, there was a suicide in, in my town where I live in Mankato, Minnesota. The person shot themselves with a gun in the parking lot at school. That's an exhibitionistic suicide. So these platforms are compelling us and we're intoxicated by our own exhibition, our own spectacles. And so the, the mass shooting is just a viral opportunity for notoriety. It's, that, it's really that simple. And so I'll talk about some potential solutions and um, of course we'll have questions about this, but this is 
in a nutshell, I thought I'd just give you the punchline up, up front. Um, and if you have questions, we don't have to wait for the mic, I'll just repeat them. Uh, but I want to keep moving because there's kind of a lot of uh, material here. So this is the, the illness in uh, American culture. We've never really rectified our, our origins of, uh, you know, colonization, slavery, genocide of the indigenous people. And the media keeps telling us there's two kinds of people in the country, one right, one left. They never define which is right, which is left. And the politicians all lie, and the media lies for them. And everything you experience, you know, in the, the virtual world is like, we're all gonna die. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, right? But the world is a scary place. There's nothing you can do about it, so just focus on yourself. Despair, uh, as Franco Berardi, the, uh, the communist Italian writer, writes, it's to understand the world is getting hotter every year. What is this nonsense about climate change or not climate change? It's getting hotter. They keep measuring the temperature, okay? There's always been wars going on. Wars didn't start in February of last year in Eastern Europe. There's always war. There's always violence. There's something wrong with uh, human nature, right? It's called greed. Uh, with greed, you want power. So to understand that there's famine, there's war, <coughs> the earth is getting hotter, there's injustices, that is to recognize the truth of the situation, but you can convert that, joy, that truth into joy if you have another relational body to communicate what you understand of what's going on in the world. Not on Zoom or in a text message, but somebody there to talk about what you experience is going on in the world. So that's why we experience despair, because we're on the, in the virtual world for 13 hours a day, on average, um, in America. This is a picture from Columbine, that's Danny lying on the sidewalk, one of the first kids to get shot when Eric Harris and, and Dylan Klebold started their fascist uh, terrorist attack in uh, Littleton, Colorado. And his parents found out he was dead by looking at the newspaper and that picture was on the front page. And the police didn't move him because they were afraid of uh, bombs being planted around it. So he laid there for 28 hours. And the reason I point this out is to, of course, infuriate you and to think, what happens if there's a mass shooting now in a school that you work at or you have kids at or family members? There's cameras everywhere. So you'll watch it. And that'll be, I imagine, just as painful as acknowledging what's happening. Cameras don't keep us safe. This is a big myth in American culture. Surveillance is about the people in power staying in power. Okay, it's not about, you know, it, what, what it seems like to me is the, the idea in American culture is that people are their most authentic self when they're in front of a camera. But that is not, that is not how it is. You, you wear a mask when you're in front of a camera. You know, you protect yourself and say certain things. Uh, so, but this is what big tech has been able to do, is push more and more surveillance, but sell it to us in the way that we want the surveillance. We want a ring doorbell on our front door. Okay, but it's not about uh, safety. It's about maintaining power relations. 
So what we need to do is to start by educating one another about this topic specifically and to find community to come together, social movements, and then we'll experience joy, not because we'll win. Parkland, Florida, you know, 2018, Valentine's Day, they started a movement, very different than what happened with Columbine. Okay, these kids got together and they made a run at it and, and Rick Scott in Florida changed some legislation. They increased the voter turnout in the primaries in 2018, but nothing else happened. Okay, we cannot operate within the democratic levers of power in the country because they no longer exist. It's all corporate power. Corporate, military, industrial complex, media are all one thing. Now there's this symbiosis between tech and the intelligence agencies, for example. So what is the appropriate response? If we get to it, I'll tell you the story of how I kind of came to this. But again, Columbine was a military operation. Eric Harris's father was in the Marines. He wanted to enact a final solution like the Nazis did. Okay, so he, Eric Harris was a revolutionary thinker and his buddy um, Dylan, this brainiac, was just kind of riding his coattails because he was obsessed with killing himself. So he had this plot and then he could kill himself. So what I'm gonna talk about is this relational process, not each individual. It's like, how are they in relationship? And that's where the game analysis comes in. So we don't operate on an island unto ourselves. We're constantly in a relational process with our environment, with other people. Like I said, in clinical work, I focus on passive behavior. So when a client comes in and they say to me, well, I'm experiencing some fear. I have this issue going on. And I say, well, okay, so what have you been doing about that fear? Well, nothing. So doing nothing is not gonna solve the problem. Like my garage door opener didn't work this summer and <laughs> by not doing anything and just thinking about it actually didn't fix the, the garage at all. You actually have to think and problem solve and ask for help. Uh, so doing nothing is obviously a passive behavior. Typically what happens is people start ruminating or overthinking. So they'll start thinking about the problem, but I say, what are you doing? Well, I've just been thinking about it. Okay, thinking about it, it's better than not doing anything, but it's not gonna ultimately solve the problem unless you take action. The third passive strategy is agitation. So, teenage boys, bound up energy. If they don't know how to deal with that energy, they turn to violence, okay? So remember, Eric and Dylan were teenage boys. What they did was horrendous, but they were teenage boys. They couldn't find love, they couldn't get laid. They were agitated. They planned the Columbine attack for like a year and a half. Detailed drawings, journals, videotapes, and they had it all saved to give to the media companies. They wanted them to know what they were doing. They wanted us to all be afraid, okay? So, agitation, not a mental illness, but I think it's 67% of the mass shooters are agitated. So you have a culture of despair, powerlessness, uh, economic precarity, uh, a government that is a, a, a cartoon of a government, okay? The, the levels of corruption in the United States. So what do we do? We escape into the virtual world. You know, Dylan Klebold was IMing throughout the night. He wasn't, he wasn't connected uh, with people. Uh, he was just ruminating about this stuff. So agitation, like for example, 
I had a client not too long ago who was afraid of bugs and they found a beetle on them when they were in their apartment and, and freaked out. Took all their clothes, threw them in the washing machine, put on you know, a hazmat suit or something like a makeshift one, cleaned their whole apartment, which wasn't dirty. But all that agitation, they had to do something. That doesn't solve their fear of bugs, right? It just, it just dispels um, the energy. So the act of violence, suicide, is to oftentimes to resolve the agitation, to make it go away. Dave Cullen, who wrote Columbine and he wrote Parkland, talks about vengeful suicides. These are exhibitionistic, but that's not separate from vengeful. It's a revenge play. A profound hunger for suicide. That was Dylan. He thought about it for two years. He was on antidepressants. Um, coupled with the overwhelming desire to lash out, to demonstrate pain and power in a final act. The mission, the quote unquote mission that Dylan and Eric had, they titled it Natural Born Killers, which is that, that movie in the 90s. Um, was it Quentin Tarantino or somebody that, that directed that? Their idea was that what they were doing would be made into a movie. They had ideas about directors and who would do it. Uh, but Natural Born Killers, you know, is these two psychopaths that are traumatized uh, in childhood and they go on this killing spree and the media sort of makes them into celebrities. Okay, so that's, that's in their head in 1999 as they go about uh, this massacre is to uh, have it be made for TV. So it's exhibitionistic. It's different than the serial killer that hides the body you know, under the house or whatever it is. This is a spectacle that's performative. So the, the media, the, the, the smartphone, you can expect more performative violence versus self-effacing or, or, you know, hidden because of the, the way that you can get the information out instantaneously. So in case people can't see, um, this was homicidal art for Eric Harris. He actually referred to his audience in his journal. The majority of the audience won't even understand my motives. He's too smart. Uh, he, his uh, journal was something like the book of God or something. He had this, this extreme arrogance and narcissism. Um, so you, you fickless people can't understand me is what he's uh, saying. But he, he scripted the event. His chief concern was that we would be too stupid to see the point. Fear was Eric's ultimate weapon. He wanted to maximize the terror. He didn't want kids to fear isolated events like sporting event or a dance. He wanted them to fear their daily lives. It worked. Parents across the country were afraid to send their kids uh, to school. So this is the, the script, the, the social Darwinian, the strong survive, the weak will perish. That's what you know, Top Gun is about, being the best of the best, the elite of the elite. This is what we're all being scripted and what you know, broadly just referred to as neoliberalism or this kind of hyper-individualistic culture we live in. Uh, Emile Durkheim, uh, the French sociologist, referred to it as excessive individualism. You know, we want to be able to express ourselves, but to what end? We're number one in uh, gun ownership, and then when you look at mass shootings, the countries with the most guns, surprisingly, have uh, the most mass shootings. But this really isn't a Second Amendment 
issue. This isn't a mental health issue. This is a cultural issue. It's only happening in here, and I'll give you the numbers pretty soon. But even if the government was going to attempt to take our guns away, there's 400 million guns in the United States, okay? Nobody's taking any guns away. 80 to 90 percent of adults agree we need universal background checks. Why won't they pass it? Because the state loves this violence to keep us scared. They want us to be impotent and that we're not going to do anything, we're not going to leave our houses. They love that. And then they think that we believe them when they're talking about solutions and that they're actually going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. Columbine, there was something like 80 or 90 shootings in the 10 years after Columbine. No legislation. Nothing changed, okay? Nothing is going to change unless we force these elites to make uh, changes. So the highest uh, per capita by far, you know, it's not a little bit, it's a lot in the United States compared to other industrialized countries. But just since the pandemic, essentially, we have 57 million more guns. I think it's 10 to 15 million AR-15s. We're a militarized culture. This whole, you're for the police, against the police, false dichotomy. We don't want a military walking around our community, right? We don't, we don't need people protecting us with AR-15s. But that's happening in all aspects uh, of the culture. And people like Rick DeSant Ron DeSantis, let's just call him Rick, who cares? <laughs> Rick DeSantis, <laughs> it, it, it exhibits how he's closeted on the inside. Rick, Ricky, uh, he wants to... Uh, he wants to put, you know, armed guards in the schools. Well, the literature is pretty clear. You increase mass shootings if you arm up the teachers and the security guards. Uh, so that's not the solution. Um, <clears throat> questions about uh, this? Yes. If you can go back a few steps when you were talking about despair. If you could say some more about that. I, I think you said that you referred that our nation hasn't dealt with some some core issues that we still have in front of us. Yeah. Thank you for that question. So the question is about despair and what we haven't reckoned with. Um, when I, so I live in, in Mankato, um, and we're looking at moving to a different location. So now all of a sudden I look out, it's like, oh, it's still the settler colonial model. That's the model we live within. Okay, so, so, so a house is just, uh, is just connected to that history of colonization, racism, uh, white supremacy. And so what everything in the culture does is says, well, let's just remodel the models we have. And so, you know, uh, kind of a joke, you know, the, the housing programs, HDTV, so it's all, everything about remodeling your house and making it about your personality and stuff. But what we're doing is just repainting over the history rather than actually thinking about reparations and who was here before us and having real conversations about that. It's just back to Rick DeSantis, <laughs> woke ideology. If you, if you use the word equity, you're part of this woke ideology, which is really just a corporate, you know, a corporation, you know, fetishizing identity and, and trying to sell us stuff, woke ideology. And so that's what, I, what, that's what I'm, I'm pointing to is that in the, in the unconscious of the people in America is, 
in the back of their mind, we got to the, the empire, the military empire that we are, on, of course, the backs of African slaves, on the land of indigenous people. And I don't think we can, we can uh, square that intellectually. You have to deal with it. You know, there's different there books uh, uh, on this, but deal with that, that, uh, that conditioning, that, that scripting, that it hasn't always been this way. That's the other thing about American culture. It's just we've always been America. It's like, no. So we have to focus on history. You know, again, so, uh, some of these far-right politicians are saying, let's just be done with history. We don't need to study history. Let's just, everybody study STEM and then get into the workforce. You know, it's shocking that these free market enthusiasts want to just skip over uh, history. But the other thing about despair, I think, is, you know, we're hearing constantly that there's a mental health crisis and we're flooded with psychotropic medications. Uh, I think most of what people are experiencing is despair versus depression so much because we're so isolated and so disconnected. Uh, but when I think about depression, when I talk to clients of mine, it's an inability to have an internal reflective conversation between the intellectual part of you and the affective part of you. And so if you're scrolling all day on TikTok, you're not inward. You're not thinking about your own thinking, okay? So then you get, I mean, if you're like me, I, I will listen to lectures and podcasts on YouTube when I'm bored, you know, at times. But then when I go off of YouTube, I'm not like, oh, I'm refreshed and <laughs> ready to go. It's like, I'm still bored. You know, it's like it didn't, it didn't do anything about the boredom. It's just suspended the boredom, still bored, okay? So that, I, I don't think we can divorce what's happening with young people from these technologies and what's going on. Uh, but then again, of course, they're required in a lot of aspects of society, so it's not that easy to just say don't use it. So just to be clear, the Top Gun script, which is something I made up, I grew up in the 80s, I, I watched Top Gun over and over again, and the, you know, the new one comes out, but it's all about uh, making ourselves into a brand. Yeah, we basically incorporate ourselves, okay? And it's, it's the best of the best, and it's masculine energy. I'm not saying about gender, but you're constantly expressing yourself, sharing everything uh, about yourself to make it. Uh, and that's why you know, relationships are, are secondary. It's, it's about me, a me, me, me culture. And so you get advertisements that speak to that. I mean, Rick DeSantis, I don't know how many times I can say it, uh, you know, he has a campaign video where he's pretending to be Maverick in Top Gun. Okay, so, you know, this, he went to the Little League World Series, then he went to Yale, then he went to Harvard. Uh, if you've read any of his book, I, uh, I'm sorry if you're reading it. Uh, <laughs> it's painful for me to read, but this guy was made for the Oval Office. And in the whole, the whole book, he's like, oh, I just stumbled upon Yale, and I stumbled upon Harvard, and talking about the elites. And anyway, so that's the script. And so then the gun gives you situational power. You get to, quote, unquote, be a man if you have a, a gun. So you imagine a teenager, can't connect with people, he gets a gun, all of a sudden he's not hopeless, he doesn't feel despair. He's, a, he's the top gun now, and he's making videos of it, and he's gonna record, and everybody's gonna see how he's a winner you know, in the moment. What's, what doesn't make sense, of course, is that then he turns the gun on himself. But 
ego consciousness is not, is not it doesn't make sense rationally. These dark uh, fascistic forces are inside of all of us. Uh, the, the desire for tissue damage and, and expulsing of another, that is part of our conditioning because we're animals, fundamentally. Animals that have been socialized. So what happens is they just uh, become that part of themselves. Eric Byrne called it the little fascist. And they go and they terrorize, okay, to feel better about themselves. So here's the numbers. You know, the police shoot three people a day in the United States. Poor people first, people of color second, who may also be poor. Um, so it's a, it's a class issue with the militarized police. Uh, we can't just say oh, no police over here because some people really need protection, okay? But we don't need them uh, slaughtering innocent, innocent people that had a, a taillight out or something, okay? You know, there's, there's obviously a war happening in Ukraine. There's a war here, 45,000 people. This is par. In 2022, 45,000 people died either by suicide or homicide or accident with guns. That's war, right? That's a lot of, of people to be dying. And that's an average, you know, if you go back eight years, 40 to 50,000 people. So this idea that, that guns don't kill people, people kill people. No, guns kill people, and that's what they're manufactured to do, is to kill people. At least 300 are shot a day, 100 people are killed a day. And it's since 1977, more than all the wars we've been in have been killed uh, by guns in the United States. So here's a map of the mass shootings. Um, four or more people shot in a day in the United States in 2022. Uh, so not four people killed, but four people shot or more, not including the, the shooter, almost twice a day, mass shooting. The FBI um, you know, lists a mass shooting as four or more people killed, not including the shooting. So it depends how you slice it up. But as you saw from the numbers, this is just to obscure what's actually happening by saying it's this kind of shooting, it's this, it's suicide, it's gun violence, mass violence. Um, yes? What I think is really interesting is look at the map itself. The real question is why is there very few? Like look at the center. It's all on the other side. What, what is that? That's the real question. So she's, she's pointing to uh, where the shootings aren't. Getting ahead of me, thank you. <laughs> West Virginia, you know, the Dakotas, Montana, Idaho, et cetera. Where's the mass shootings? That's what, that's what the individual is asking. Yeah, population, the per capita gun ownership in those areas is the highest in the United States. Look at Alaska as well. You don't find mass shootings there. Everybody's got guns. They got them in their truck. Mankato, too, but <laughs> Alaska, we don't have any bears yet, you know. Um, so, but then flip it around, these states, the highest suicide rate. Suicide, mass shooting, guns kill people. Okay, I work as a social worker, and I'm sure some of you are in the same discipline or related access to means. You don't need a master's degree, right? If you take away the guns, people don't kill themselves. They don't kill other people. So we can't have everybody having access uh, to these means. And, we ha and I'm not making an absolute about what we should do. 
but it is the guns killing people. When you, if a kid is suicidal and you take the medication away, that reduces the likelihood that they're going to kill themselves, right? So mass violence has always been around. I'm not trying to create a fear tactic with this um, lecture, uh, but it dropped off when we had, you know, relative, not for everybody, but relative prosperity in the mid-20th century. We were the most educated country in the world. That's actually how we rose uh, outside of, you know, what happened in World War II. But then something happens. Uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher came to power in the 80s. So you have very few mass shootings. The bar graph or the um, number of mass shootings in the red line is the number of people shot in those shootings, okay? So you see this upward trend since this kind of corporate coup d'etat that happened in the late 70s um, and deregulation, deregulation, deregulation across both political parties, it's not one party, it's a uniparty, and so 2017, you have, or excuse me, yeah, 2017, you have the Las Vegas shooting from the hotel, so the number of, of victims is much, much higher. COVID, you know, goes down. People are inside. Creeps back up in 2021. 2022 hits the record um, again. And I, I am not optimistic that that curve is going to level off. But the connection here, the intersection, then I want to shift over into talking more about the virtual world, is that these tech platforms who aren't technically publishers, so they're not responsible for anything that's on their sites, now are working with the executive branch in Congress to censor people, not to take responsibility for what's happening on their, on their platforms, but it's all about self-promotion. It's all about exhibiting ourselves, and we're intoxicated by this form of communication, which is not really communication. Communication is full body. This is exchanging of information back and forth in digital form, which if there's any therapist in here, you know that's the worst kind of <laughs> communication there is because you don't know what's going on with the other person. You can tell by their body language and their gestures what's happening. On a text, you can just analyze it and analyze it and analyze it. Uh, and then it's saved, it's stored forever. So the, the way the platforms work, the culture of be, you know, becoming a top gun is all about competition. And how do you rise to the top by doing something that goes viral? So it doesn't matter uh, what that is when you think about it, unconscious drive to be a celebrity. You know, it's not rational what you're gonna do. Yeah, question. Um, before you move on, you had referenced um, a study. Um, who did the study on the, you said that it was, um, demonstrates increased violence if you put armed teachers in the school. What Thank study you. is that? So the question is about what study references if you put more, um, if you put armed guards or security guards at a school, it actually increases the, um, the rate of shootings. Um, I think it might have been an FBI statistic, but it's from the book, The Violence Project, which is actually kind of interesting because uh, the authors have a Minnesota connection to it. And I don't agree with everything they're saying, but this is the book um, 
in this slide is the violence project reference. So it's in there. And uh, I should say, I, I can get you all these references. I have them at the end of the, the slideshow, too. The other thing that you said was, you know, about the suicide, um, it, it was higher in those states. Now, is that, because we also have the, you know, males are more likely to use firearms than females. Females are more likely to use medicate, you know, pills, overdosing, and, and other means. Is mm -hmm. that taken into consideration into what you were talking about with those states? So the question is, um, when we looked at the map, and you saw the Montana, Idaho, you know, Dakotas, it's a, there weren't any mass shootings there. And I kind of looked back at different maps and there wasn't many in that area. Um, but the gun ownership rate per capita is some of the highest there. The suicide rates are some of the highest there. I didn't really dig farther than, than you can with Wikipedia or, or finding other online sources. So I don't know if half the suicides were pills and half were guns. Like, I don't know the ratio of Montana to California. That'd be a great thing to, to look at. I just thought it was the same as the other person that pointed. I was like, well, that's interesting. West Virginia doesn't have any mass shootings. And then, of course, the big splotch there. Yeah. So like I already said, we're hypnotized when we're in the virtual world. You know, I can read a book and when my two year old's about to fall off the couch, grab her with my hand, right? Because there's still some sensory awareness to the environment, what's happening in the moment. If I'm on my email or YouTube where I got headphones in, she needs to hit the ground anyways. I mean, she's the third, <laughs> third child. I mean, <laughs> come on, she's got two older brothers. She's fine, you're good. Shake it off, whatever. But I'm, I'm present to some degree. I can, I can put my attention on the book, I can take it off. But not with the virtual world. So it more and more is taking over our senses for us. Uh, think of the metaverse as one we're encased in the, the virtual world. And this is, this is what Orwell's um, concern was. I mean, he wrote about Big Brother in this, you know, totalitarian state. But his concern was that we would just drown ourselves in, in the kind of... Uh, worldviews and presentation of events and ideas that that would be the real boot on our neck is that we wouldn't use critical thinking that's what we have to do I, I taught meditation in the community and i told them to think and remember we would these were preschool kids and even younger we would start out with a little uh, game where each person would go around. We'd be going on an imaginary trip to the zoo. And I'd say, I'm Andrew. I'm going to see the lions. And then Joey would say tigers. And Jane would see the monkeys and polar bears, whatever. And so each person had to listen and remember what the other person had said to pay attention. That's what mindfulness is. This is mindlessness. We're not paying attention. We're just receiving information into our psychobiological system. It's just uh, frictionless um, at this point. And so what I mean by not thinking and not remembering is that the, again, this symbiotic process that I'll break down in a couple minutes is they're gonna think for us, just like the mother thinks for the infant. They're going to remember for us. When does she need to go to the bathroom? When does she you know, need to be changed or to be nursed or these kinds of things? Everything is waiting for us where we left off, right? That's an, it's an infantile, narcissistic experience to just have everything waiting 
for you on all these platforms. And again, they're happy to help and to remember your profile and the things you like to make money. It's passivity in the sense of doing nothing. We're just, we're just, you know, less and less even having to touch the screen because everything's so automated on it, like TikTok, for example. You don't even have to think to go to the next video. Okay, so less and less um, critical thinking. Was there a question? Yeah, I was just going to ask in this quote, by means of rhythmic noise, is that distraction? Is that what you Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is a this is a quote from um, 1984. I'm a sort of an abusive parent, so my kindergartner and I are reading 1984. <laughs> I'm skipping some of the parts. Don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> but so it's it's not you know with the virtual world it's not the restriction of freedom or like in 1984 the thought police no 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 you're compelled to be completely transparent your medical records your political orientation your identity they want it all and they get us how they've gotten so powerful is they've gotten inside our head so we think oh yeah i want to go on facebook or i want to go on youtube like we think we're doing it, you know, but if any of you have ever deleted the apps on your phone or anything, you'll go to touch the spot where Facebook is and it's not there anymore. It's, this is all unconscious, you know, in terms of how it's, how it's drowning us is, is information, you know, like I, I can't remember the number, but it's something like in terms of daily information, it's like reading like 50 or 60 newspapers. That is too much information for our system to be getting all, all the time, and of course, videos are much more sort of rich in um, in stimulation than than reading things. So it's too much uh, for our system. And the bigger thing is that we're just in our head. We're disconnected, split off from the body. That's how you feel joy by being totally in your body. You know, going back to these uh, meditation classes I would have with little kids, preschool kids. You know, little kids, they, they get that sort of machine gun belly laugh going. Like, that's joy. You know, you just laugh because they're so joyous in the moment. Um, <clears throat> that's what we need as social uh, mammals to be connected with other people. Okay, so this is where you can take out the two pieces of paper that I passed out to you. So what you're going to do is draw three... Um, you're going to draw three circles on that, on each page. Size matter? Uh, yeah, of course it does. Um, just like a like a snow person, three circles like that, or like a stoplight. Um, So on both sheets of paper, on one side, do the three circles. And technically, they're right on top of each other. Um, so in the, in the top circle, well, I want you to write parent. In the middle circle, I want you to write adult. And then in the bottom circle, I want you to write child. So this is the personality structure that Eric Byrne developed he took it out of uh, psychoanalysis, Freudian psychoanalysis, and made this self-system. So by the time you're 
five or six years old, you have essentially three different people inside your head. You got a copy of your parent figures. You got the little boy or girl you once were. That's the child. Okay, but then there's another state of mind called the adult, which is essentially mindful awareness. And you can write some of this next to the, the circles if you'd like, because we're going to do something with it. Think of a stoplight just to make it easy. You know, a red light doesn't say, yeah, stop wherever you want. <laughs> it's, it's prejudicial. It says stop right here at this line. Okay, so we've had experiences from our background with our parents where they're very critical of us, what we did. Okay? There's, of course, nurturing forms of, of parenting, but I'm sure you can relate that there's a voice in your head that says you should or shouldn't do this or that. You know, you get home, as long as we're talking about the virtual world, you throw on Netflix, you know, you've had a long day with the conference, learning, and then a voice says, you know, you should be more productive. You should do something useful. Okay, that's an analytical state of mind, and it's very good for child rearing. If you have kids, right, you have to be in the parent state to make sure they don't run into the street or set the house on fire. And it's a conservation of energy to be in just that analytical state of mind. Okay, so that's the top one, like a red light. The adult state, Eric Byrne referred to it as a computer processor. You're just objectively processing data. Like you can uh, get a sense of the temperature in the room, you know, how you're feeling in your body, you know, what's happening in the here and now, right now. If we were completely silent, we would probably hear the HVAC system and different noises, okay? So the, the yellow light or the adult state is reality testing. Um, when people are experiencing psychosis, that adult state has stopped working. Okay, so they think the voices are coming from out here, in here, they can't learn, uh, that kind of thing. So this model, I won't give too many examples, but the model accounts for, you know, the psychiatric jargon, the DSM versions. But what I do is I teach people this model that's, that's not a pathological model. It says, this is how you were programmed and this is where you put your psychic energy so you can change that character structure through psychotherapy. It's amenable to change. You're not the same person you were when you were a little kid all the way across time. So the green light, the child state is, you know, that childlike part of you. How did you operate with your parent figures? You know, I was slamming doors when I was mad, swearing, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so you see this, of course, when people drink alcohol. The prejudicial state of mind, the red light, the judgment, the yellow light, it turns off, right? And then people are childlike. Uh, and if you don't drink, you say they're childish, but that's a prejudicial. <laughs> that's a parental way of saying it. So th this is consciousness. It's normal and natural to be shifting in and out of states of consciousness. Even though it feels like there's one me in the center of my skull, that's an illusion. So these are ego states, which are patterned forms of feeling, acting, behaving. And they were conditioned uh, when we were little kids. I mean, it's, it's why I think it's so uh, absurd, all this uproar about critical race theory or different things taught in school. It's like 
kids are already programmed by the time they get to school they can think for themselves right if they if they really don't believe uh that we just sat down with the indians and had turkey dinner like they they're gonna figure that out anyways right so anyways by the time you're at school age your personality structure is there of course you can change it and you can um alter it the other thing that uh, transactional analysis focuses on is existential positions. And the idea in, in TA is that I'm okay and you're okay. Meaning people are fundamentally beautiful and can take care of themselves and are intelligent and they struggle and they're contradictory and that kind of things. But there's nothing, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with you other than that you were socialized as a little kid and all parents screw up within that socialization uh, process. So uh, I'm not sitting down with a client and saying, oh, you got ADHD or, or borderline personality disorder. I'm saying, okay, the child state is confused. You don't have access to the adult state or this and that. Um, so it's a, a kind of universal model. But the idea with the existential positions is that you make a decision when you're a little kid uh, that you have some sort of lack that you're not good enough, uh, you're not lovable, et cetera, and you take on a position. So for Dylan, he was not okay and other people were okay. And the way he was gonna be okay is if he fell in love with this girl, Harriet, uh, but he was, he was depressed. He it sounded like he was kind of on the spectrum from what I read about it. He was a brainiac, he was shy, um, this kind of thing. But the I'm not okay and you're not okay is a position of futility. So that means going nowhere. Uh, and even though he was very intelligent, um, you know, he was actually named after a, a poet who was this tragic figure who died um, young. He, he didn't believe that he was ever gonna be lovable. So when you think about uh, Dylan, who's on the right there, he has what I call a, a manager personality structure. And this will make sense in a minute. But so if you, if you take that, uh, that sheet of paper you have and you flip it over, now draw three circles, but draw, draw it so the parent and the adult are overlapping. So half, half of the parent is within the adult state. And then there's a line right above the child state. So the child state is the affective part of the personality structure. He couldn't deal with feelings. He would explode. He would like blow over is what his mom was uh, quoted as saying. He's constantly depressed. He was obsessed with suicide. So what he was doing, and this is the majority of my clients, especially um, younger generation, teens, 20-somethings, is they're trying to manage their emotions. They're trying to like present themselves as sane and they feel like they're going crazy at the same time. Uh, so they're stuck in this parent state. So when you have this overlap, what they call it in TA is contamination. So most of my clients think they're that voice that says you should be doing more with your life or you know, you gotta try harder or be perfect or be strong, be a man, whatever it is. And then of course the digital world, every time we go anywhere, well, let's use the, 
conference, they probably won't invite me back anyways. Uh, you got to download an app <laughs> and put all your information in there, create a profile, and then they're going to send you surveys and say, what was your subjective experience of the conference? Tell us to rate it on a zero to 10 scale. Who cares? You know, again, it's just to get data and to make money, but it's telling us that we're our subjectivity. Okay, so the parent state is more subjective. That's just one aspect of the personality structure. The child state is all about drives, um, sexual energy, um, feelings, memories. So he tried to cut off that part, and this is what I'm seeing across the board in my psychotherapy practice, is this sort of manager presentation. So now on the back of the other set of circles, you write at the top, politician. So the politician is the complete inverse. You have the line goes across just below the parent. Think about Trump. He doesn't have a conscience, right? He's just going to do what he wants to do. Most of the politicians. Trump's the obvious because he's such a narcissist. But the, the child is contaminating the adult. So how does that look? with a Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence or whoever, is they walk into the room and they say, well, the reality is, which means the way I see the world is real, and the way you see it is just, you know, you don't really get it, you know? That's pushing a frame of reference. Joe Biden's more of a manager. If anything, he'll adopt a frame of reference and then comment on it. You know, his Twitter page doesn't look like Trump's did, right? He's not talking about himself constantly. So this, this structure where the conscience is excluded and the reality is I'm going to get what I want. That's the top gun script. And I'm going to dominate and I'm going to compete and I'm going to manipulate to get what I want. This is, this is what I call the politician. Um, and it's technically the structure of a psychopath is this structure, right? Because it's just about what I want to get. So that's an, this is the arrogant position. The manager, the futile position. So surprise, surprise. We have this uh, yin and yang between Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. So, so uh, Dylan has this sort of Romeo and Juliet script where he can't get the girl, he ends up committing suicide, but Eric decided he was okay and you're not okay. That's the arrogant position. That's the psychopath. So you're just going to get in the way of what I want. That's Harris. See, there's a whole chapter on psychopathy in Dave Cullen's book about Eric Harris. He wanted a revolution where all the stupid people were killed. You know, again, this, this Holocaust-like mentality um, for him. And Everywhere he wrote, his website, art, you know, essays for school, his journal, hate, 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 hate. And he had this real literal interpretation of social Darwinism, natural selection, uh, that humans just got in the way by creating medicine and vaccines and that sort of thing, that the weak people should die. They deserve uh, to die. So you can see where this masculine energy, this yawn energy of Eric, and this self-effacing or receptive yin energy of Dylan just made for this perfect symbiotic uh, process. This is from the Parkland shooter, just echoing other quotes from Harris and Klebold. From the wrath of my power, they will know who I am. 
The Parkland shooter also expressed undying love for a girl mentioned by her first name. Hope to see you in the afterlife. I mean, that's almost literally what Dylan said in his journal about this other um, person. But so what my point, and I don't have time to go into game analysis today, is that it isn't the lone wolf madman gunman. They're in relational processes with people, uh, people I call connectors. So Eric and Dylan had people that were older that got them guns and helped them get ammunition and helped them build bombs. Uh, but they were really just playing a cops and robbers game. You know, they got busted breaking into a van and they shot their BB guns and, and uh, stole stuff. Uh, but we, we're not gonna mental health our way out of this uh, crisis because they're being scripted to make themselves into a brand, to incorporate themselves, and with that, it's all competition, all aspects of social experience. Think about social media. It's competition. Who has the most likes? Who has the most shares? Followers. It's all about competition. Every aspect of uh, experience so Dylan essentially goes along with Eric's plans, and who knows, maybe he thought he was kidding. Maybe they, he thought they weren't really gonna do it, but these guys were f for real. They had experimented with napalm, they had giant propane tanks, gasoline in their cars, so after the bombing, it was supposed to blow up the news people, the paramedics, this was like very sophisticated uh, military operation. Okay, so let's go back to our uh, personality structures. So the parent, and so write three Ps next to it on, on one page. So the parent is about power in terms of conditioning little kids, raising them. If you have a kid tomorrow and you don't think about it at all, you'll raise them how your parents raised you, or you'll sort of rebel against that, but the outcome will be the same. The adult is possibility. So where am I gonna put my psychic energy? What am I gonna pay attention to from the here and now? It's not conditioned like the child state is. So the child state is that affective, it's the strongest part of the personality. So next to that, put potency. It's how we influence one another. I could say, I grew up in South Minneapolis, then my family moved to Bloomington, then I went to college here. You know, I could tell you about relationships. If we were sitting down to have coffee, that's what we would do, right? We wouldn't just talk about what was actually happening in the moment, we would express ourselves. So that material is, you know, uh, psychic material is in the child state. And, and I'm kind of oversimplifying these, but it's, it's potent in the sense that kids are either heaven or hell. And with that, there's an adapted part of the child state. That's what I'm talking about in terms of Harris and Dylan, this fascistic part. Um, and then the natural child, like what it was to be free as a little one or two year old. Before you even knew you existed, you just had feelings and you felt them and it was, you were liberated, you're free. You have the ego construction, we suffer because of that, because we can forecast out into the future, we can identify ourselves as separate, all this stuff. and so. Really, you know, my, I told you kind of my background. All this stuff about transactional analysis I learned since having kids. So less than six years ago, and I had the opportunity to watch these personalities emerge based on how my wife and I conditioned these kids. So TA works for me just because I've seen it. 
in real time. It's very much a developmental perspective. Not many people uh, use it, unfortunately. I had somebody, well, a couple people contact me from Minneapolis and I'm you know, an hour, 15 minutes away just from Google searching transactional analysis. So there's not many people doing it. Um, it's a psychodynamic kind of model. Okay, so talking about symbiosis, you know, it's technically a scientific term. You have two dissimilar organisms. Think about like a, an elephant and a bird sitting on top of the elephant. You know, the bird's gonna eat the, the bugs on top of the elephant for it, gets a free ride, elephant doesn't care, right? They're, they're in this symbiotic process where they each get something. The bird gets a free ride, the elephant gets cleaned up, that kind of thing. So it's mutually beneficial. You'll probably start thinking about codependency as I'm saying this. It's a little bit different than codependency, but it's similar. It's when two people become one. They can only be a full person together. So think of a mother and uh, a newborn baby. The, uh, the, and this is where you can write down these functions of the personality structure. The parent is about control because you have to make sure the baby does not die, especially in the first year of life. So you have to make sure there's plug-ins in the wall and you know they're not sleeping on their belly, these different things. So it's control. The adult is about choice. What am I going to pay attention to? What am I going to plan for? Where am I going to go after this conference? You know, you can, you can organize and assess. So the mother assesses when does the baby need to nurse? When do they need a new diaper? When did they nap? As the child grows, they identify themselves as independent. Independently feeling, thinking, and problem solving. But within the mother breastfeeding infant relationship, the baby doesn't have to think for themselves and they don't even know, they don't have object permanence, right? That's the fancy term for it. So with a mother and an infant, the infant's on the right. So now you've got two pieces of paper, right? Two personality structures. So the one, the infant, which is potent, <laughs> if you haven't had kids, uh, a lot of needs, a lot of wants uh, from a, a baby, but all they fundamentally want, and of course they will not survive, is connection, actual stroking, affection. It's required the human organism. Okay, they will not survive if you don't uh, give that. You know, skin to skin is what they do now when they're born. So that's potency and that's connection is the child state. So then the parent and the adult of the mother, you know, to some capacity they're moralizing. They're telling them what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. You should do this. You should do. Shouldn't do that. Uh, but it's really more about uh, controlling the frames of reference. You know, it depends where you grew up, how you were conditioned. If you grew up in Minnesota or Bangladesh or Africa or China, you're going to have different um, external conditioning. That's what the parent state is. So lastly, again, the infant on the right isn't aware of themselves as a separate object, especially, you know, a breastfeeding newborn infant. They cry and then the mother reads their mind. Uh, but they don't even really have to do that because physically uh, the newborn crying produces milk in tandem in the mother. So it's this reflexive form of communication. But think about it in your actual relationships where people just read your mind. Uh, that's passive versus saying, here's how I feel, here's what I want. You know, my... Uh, my wife says, you know, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know, you decide. <laughs> like, I, don't want, I don't want to think about it, you, you, you think. Um, so the child state is simple consciousness. They cannot reflect about their own thinking, just like my cat cannot think about their own thinking. At least I don't think so. 
should be nicer to them if <laughs> get them better better cat food if that's the case. So it's direct experience. It's because it's pre-gogic. Everything that's happening is happening. There's no reflection about what's happening and oh, I got so much work I have to do tomorrow and what's next week going to look like, right? It's just the immediacy of the moment. Pure awareness. This is what what uh, Zen points to is can we go back before we knew who we, who we were? The, the face you had before you were born. Uh, that idea is simple consciousness. So what I'm describing between simple consciousness and ego consciousness, there isn't actually a change in consciousness. You just or get trained in a way that you can be subjective about yourself. So my daughter, who's two, we say, you're Vivian, you're Vivian. And so she looks in the mirror, I say, who's that? That's me. So she gets trained to say, I'm separate, I'm Vivian, and I'm constant and continuous across time. That, I mean, that's like sort of the, you know, I'm not religious, but sort of a miraculous thing to see this transition from simple consciousness, right, where there's no problem. I mean, there's problems, like they're hungry <laughs> or they have to go to sleep, but there's no problem. Not with ego consciousness, there's always a problem, okay? Because we feel this sense of lack and we crave things for ourselves, etc. So think about the mother can reflect. When did they nurse? When did they change their diaper? And they're just operating based on those desires of... Uh, the infant. So it's a, com it's, a, it's a complete unit. One, two, three ego states, even though there's uh, two people, technically. So with, with Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold, they were one unit operating together because one would discount their feelings, the other th one was grandiose and running with their feelings, that kind of thing. So let's tie this to the virtual world. All these systems are thinking about what choices we will want. So the virtual world is like the mother and we're like the child state, the little baby that's just constantly receiving information. You know, you're, you're more relaxed when you're on TikTok or at a movie, but then you turn it off and then everything tenses in your body you, because you're in just that receiving system process. So it's not the 1984 version of totalitarianism that Orwell wrote about, this is not control via coercion or the boot on the neck, this is via craving. We want to be on the machine. We, we, we're intoxicated by it. We, need, we feel like we need it uh, constantly. And the, the more it accelerates, you know, like think TikTok, where it, we don't even have to push the button. That means less and less critical thinking. I can certainly give you ideas if you want about you know, how to deal with this, this problem that we all uh, face, but, but I think just the political understanding of what big tech is actually doing is enough to push back. But I can, ex I can explain more psychologically what's happening. So there, the parent chooses the parameters of the conditioning. What's right and wrong, black and white. That's what parents do to kids. The machine is a system of zeros and ones. You like this, you'll probably like that. You love this, you'll like more of that. Okay, so it's just, it's just providing the choices for us. So this is the, you know, what I spent a couple years writing about is the, the user. You're not, you're not separate from the machine. You know, you can't just go walk around 
Facebook, you have to log in as a user. So you can't be a bystander. So it's a symbiotic process with the, the platform, more or less. Uh, gets what they want, and it, the, the machine pro provides the power and the possibility, functions as control and choice for the user. Now, of course, they're in this symbiotic relationship with the government. So um, you have people like Peter Hershock saying, listen, the military, governments, corporations, they all want data on the human subject. Makes money, helps them control society, social control. Uh, and they're, they're preying off of our desire to connect with one another. But what I'm saying is this is not connection. Uh, I went off Facebook a long time and um, I don't regret a second of it, okay? I know it's hard to do, but this is making, you know, there's all this concern about AI that I, I won't get into, uh, but the more we interact with this machine, the more sophisticated it gets at giving us what we want so we're on the machine longer. Mm -hmm. It's just capitalism. That's all it is, and just in a different, uh, it's in a virtualized form. And, you know, the top guns of society literally want us in a symbiotic relationship. So it's not hyperbole. Okay, this is what they want. Neuralink, if you don't know, Elon Musk has a machine that can implant a computer processor into the human brain so that the threads uh, connect with the neurons directly so you can interface with computers. Um, and so he, he, he speaks of uh, symbiosis. Um, that's, not, uh, that's not my suggestion uh, moving forward. And so this is, a, this is an ape that has a, a neural link uh, in his head, he's, he's playing Pong, which tells you the direction this is going to ultimately lead. More mindlessness, but he's controlling, supposedly, he's controlling the, uh, the game just by thinking. But, you know, he's got a little drip there that he's sucking on the whole time. So I'm not convinced uh, of this, but, but Musk apparently has said that he, he'll install it on him and uh, whatever. So. It's already happening in terms of the, the uh, wearables that are inside the body, or measuring and tracking inside the body. And that's really what this, uh, Berardi calls it semi-capitalism. It's just about measuring things to create data that then gets sold off so we can buy shit we don't need on Amazon and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not a conspiracy. This is just where the economy is going because there's, there's, there's not many other places for capital to go terms of resources. So what I think is, is, uh, is kind of um, interesting is, you know, neuroplasticity is it's neurons that fire together, wire together. And so even, bless you, even in the theory, <laughs> you have a, a sort of analogy to, to a gun firing. So if you, if you really work at your neurons to get them firing, then you're gonna change your brain. You're gonna improve it, you're gonna optimize it. But, but the presupposition is that we are our head and that we're just focused on our mind, our head, and what's going on in our brain and we need to change that. Um, so I'm not convinced of, of neuroplasticity. Um, this is a, from Ward's book, Larry Ward's book, America's Racialized Consciousness. Um, he talks about, you know, just briefly, uh, the idea of 
you know, that we can actually change our brain, but the brain is constantly adapting to the environment. So it doesn't matter if you're studying meditation or learning Japanese or falling in love. It's a, it's a symbiotic organ that everything that's happening affects the organ and it changes the physical structure of the organ. In that uh, through our, our learning, we are actually changing, like the changing of the brain structure and the changing of the learning are the same thing. What these guys want is to grab that thinking because they can measure the brain waves with this computer processor. They want that data to know when you're going to buy a soda or you know, a, something on Amazon, a book, or plane tickets, capturing desire at the neuroplastic level. That's, that's my idea. So there's no, <laughs> there's no studies on that. That's my assertion is that they want to know what we want before we even know we want it. That'd be the best, best bet for them. And again, if we're, if we're just our, our head, um, which is, is what Western culture tells us, then we're split off from the body. Okay, how we experience joy is an embodied process. This is the, one of the reasons why I refuse to do telehealth. I do very little telehealth and I, I wouldn't do it uh, much during the pandemic was because I want to see the whole body. The communication happens in between words. The, the gaplessness in conversation, the latent communication comes out or if a person's shaking their leg, but what are we doing? Fundamentally, we're getting programmed to sit in front of a desk and look at a computer camera. That's what's happening. Is that good for us to be 13 hours a day no. in it and looking at a camera? No, but it's keeping us still because we're, we're receiving that information. And then when we get off, we're stressed, right? And we're anxious. Uh, <clears throat> so we need, you know, rational dialogue with real people. And we need to imagine different ideas. So I have a different idea we're coming to here on what we can do. Berardi says, we know that desire is creative tension, while pleasure is the release of that tension, and thus a moment of harmony between the body and its environment. So not within a virtual world. That's just craving, and it's endless. The ego, you know, that's where I'll lend you my six-year-old if you want to know about wanting. <laughs> Dad, I want this, I want the iPad, I want the Nintendo Switch, you know. Um, the ego wants for itself. Okay, that's, the, that's pretty much the issue with uh, human behavior. Yes, sir? How do you draw the line uh, between the benefits of technology and the detriment of technology? That's a good question. The, where do we draw the line between the benefits of technology and sort of the negative effects? The, my issue with, with big tech and these platforms is not so much what you're using that technology for, it's what Shoshana Zuboff calls the, the surveillance capitalism. So what they're doing is they're exploiting us and they're working hand in hand with governments to do this. We could still have an Instagram or a, you know, Facebook or any of these things without the exploitation. The, you know, we have to click all those privacy things, uh, cookies and whatever. It's like nobody has a dozen lawyers to read through all these contracts. So, so Zuboff goes through the history, and that's, that's another reason why I, I didn't pivot to telehealth during the uh, pandemic, is because I was reading that, 
and I felt like I was like crazy and paranoid, but I was like, what she's writing is they're, they're waiting for, I think her book came out in 2019. They, big tech waits for a crisis and then they, they herd us into uh, this new way of being. You know, so school is remote learning or work is remote, but they're doing that not to help us. Oh, it's a pandemic. Yeah, you got to stay safe. Here, use Zoom for everything. They're just doing that to make windfalls. And so all these, uh, you know, elites, trillions of dollars they made off of uh, the pandemic and all these technologies. So it's not the technology necessarily. It's that there's no regulation. Like, uh, let me give you a historical example. You know, probably most of us use Google or Gmail and stuff. Okay. So 9-11 happens in 2001. Google figures out with things like the Patriot Act and all the NSA surveillance and everything. Hey, we can make more money by stealing data just to sell versus getting data to improve our search engine or our products. So when that, when that Google van was driving around taking pictures of all the streets and the houses, they were stealing logins and passwords for people's Wi-Fi. So, so again, it's this happy to help. Let's, let's create maps, and, you know, ways to drive easier when the background, they're exploiting us. So, so that's their game. They might present this image of progression and they care about the climate and green. No, that, that's all uh, a charade. So the issue is not the technology. I mean, we could just restart the internet, make a new internet. The issue is the economic profit motive with something that should just be ours that we own you know maybe as individuals nationally something but we have none of that they have all the control and the power so it's not so thank you for bringing that up it's not the technology itself it's what are they doing and and you know even you know stuff like the twitter files that comes out now it just becomes a debate about uh, the journalists' integrity and how they made money off of it. I mean, there's just, there's no daylight between these two supposed parties. They serve corporate interests. Biden got elected with big tech. I mean, and he told them on the campaign trail that nothing would fundamentally change. It's not gonna change the tax code. And so that's my issue with it is that it's exploitative. And so in some other lectures that I've done, I put up, pictures of my kids because the daycare has an app the kindergarten has an app the soccer team has an app the football so for these kids you know for us what does it matter am i afraid that the government's watching me no these kids have their whole life recorded it reminds me of the truman show it's like every waking moment is documented that's too much self-knowledge you know you have a baby book for a reason you don't need to know every time your diaper was changed but the impetus for that is so they can make money by by target marketing and so they want to brand the kids to Pokemon Go and, you know, all this stuff. So that's, that's the thing. I've, there's a book by Susan Lin called Who's Raising the Kids? You don't have to read it. Corporations are raising the kids. And so what they're teaching them, materialism, individualism, brand yourself, that kind of thing. So that, that's my issue. And then once you, once you uh, put energy into these platforms, you're stuck there for life, right? You, some of us can remember when email was fun, <laughs> like you emailed your friends and it was like fun or Facebook, and that's work. Email is work. So you get trapped within these um, 
systems in its joyless is what I'm, what I'm saying, because we're, we're just our heads in front of the screen. And so it's just what's, what's on your mind. And you see that now more and more with the news. Anything that happens, they don't talk about the substance. They say, well, how did you feel? How are you feeling now when your friend got shot to death? Well, what the f do you think they're feeling? You know, <laughs> what are we going to do about it? That's the, that's the question. Here's what I think we should do. So I do lectures online for a drug and alcohol agency. And uh, I did a lecture on Columbine and transactional analysis. And I said in that lecture, on April 20th, my kindergartner ain't going to school. We're going to have a daddy day on April 20th. It's the anniversary of Columbine, which mass shooters replicate. They use that as the, the model. That's the simulation. They're going to be stars. And they reference the Columbine kids in their manifestos and things. So it's the most likely day of a school shooting. So I say this in this lecture, and then I get sort of reprimanded by my supervisor because they say one of the clients you know, started saying how anxious they were, how they didn't want to go to treatment that day, and they don't want their kids going to school that day. And I was like, oh, well, that's the appropriate response. That's exactly right. Not, not, not you know, sequester ourselves, but nobody in here wants kids to get shot by guns, right? And I should say, if, if, if you're not afraid of your kids getting shot in schools or your kids aren't afraid, there's a whole swath of the country where they're afraid going to school and going home from school. Okay, so we don't want kids getting shot with guns. So this could be a decentralized kind of movement where we say, you know, this is passive behavior. Violence is passive behavior, doesn't solve problems. Suicide doesn't solve problems. We're going to be consciously passive, meaning we're not going to work, we're not going to school, because we want these politicians to do something, write some legislation. I mean, they could have a campaign on gun safes, and you could save, you know, 13% or something, you know, read the violence project, I don't remember the numbers, just by getting people to put guns in safes. There's thing, don't, don't get lost in that despair that we're impotent, there's nothing we can do. Background checks, gun safes, there's lots of things, but this, this wave, this right wing, neo-fascist wave is going to say, we're going to have the teachers armed, we're going to have guards, or we're going to have veterans. Uh, there, was a, there was a scare across the street from my kid's school, and apparently a group of veterans with guns showed up outside the school, like ready for uh, an active shooter. That's what we want, civilians coming into schools and shooting haphazardly. I mean, it's very terrifying. Okay, but so what I'm thinking is that, so I just, I created this website with um, some people I know. Doesn't have anything on it other than a little bit of a description. Uh, making some magnets out of this design. I say, you know, so the places where you work or the schools you go to or the school boards you're on or you're associated with, what are they going to do on April 20th? How are they going to keep the kids safe? I mean, from what I've seen, and I'm not entrenched by any means, is they're not even talking about mass shootings. I mean, some schools are doing simulations, uh, but actually that just scripts the kids into understanding what happens during a mass shooting. So it's, it's even putting the idea in their head, in a sense. Um, but the, the other side is, you know, you know, what, what was it, $10 million that the governor put into mental health in the schools? Most of these mass shooters are former students. 
So what is that going to do? Everybody has a therapist in the school. Yeah, so this is, a, this is a problem that is much more nuanced. It's not just about guns. And I think we can start, you know, social movements. The other, you know, like you can love technology and hate big tech. You know, big tech is Apple, Amazon. You know, Apple's the most profitable company in human history. Amazon, which basically has their own market and government at the same time. Microsoft, which is investing in, in AI. Meta. Um, I think I'm missing, I'm missing one, but these, these are powerful, powerful transnational companies uh, that have a lot of control. And so we need to push back against that. And, and so this intersection of big tech and mass shootings, I think, works in a sense in terms of uh, a social movement. So it's just stayathomeday.com. Uh, I was telling a friend I ran into here you know, almost every day. My my four-year-old's like, Dad, is it a stay-at-home day? Because <laughs> he doesn't want to go to daycare. <laughs> he doesn't know like weekend or holidays. He's like, is it a stay-at-home day? I'm like, yeah. So 4:20, I'll be staying at home. I hope you tell other people to stay at home and to start actually talking about this issue. Yes. Well, my brain is probably kind of tired since it's close to the end of the day, but I associate 4:20 with. Oh, sorry. So the, the question is, and maybe we can get the mic out here in a second. Um, April 20th is an anniversary of Columbine. They were trying to replicate the Oklahoma City bombing on April 19th. They didn't have all their supplies, so they moved to 420. But people said, oh, it's Adolf Hitler's birthday, 420. So that they, they did it because of Hitler. No, they just didn't have their stuff. They were supposed to do it on the 19th. And the, I'm telling you, these bombs could have destroyed the whole school. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So... April is one of the most violent months in the United States. And so you have Virginia Tech, I mean, technically the Revolutionary War. It's sort of in our DNA. So yes, it's a sticky <laughs> date. I, did, I didn't make that connection. And we can be in solidarity with Columbine survivors, with Parkland, with all of them, right? Is that, uh, you know, connect these to other things. Yeah, well, why is marijuana not federally legal, you know? Big Pharma, of course, is why it's not. Uh, but you can have any reason to stay home. Uh, but I think if we, if we under, the other lectures I've been giving uh, are really about subversion. We have to teach this next generation to undermine authority and power when it's appropriate because they're teaching them to be little managers, little obedient conformist kids. And yeah, kids have to control themselves, yes, but uh, they're not going to know how to create social movements unless the grown-ups do it. So we can't sit at home all the time on Facebook or whatever. We need to ultimately get into the streets. But, you know, I'm putting this out. I don't know what I'm doing with this, <laughs> clearly. It's coming together, you know, day by day. But run with it wherever you want. Yeah, and other questions. Yes? Uh, just with all your background in psychology and anything else, aren't you afraid that this is going to give people the idea and make them want to do it? The question is, um, with emphasizing this date and in mass shootings in general, if more people will take more people will take it on. Um, 
I mean, it kind of reminds me, you know, of the old adage about suicide. You don't talk about suicide. These are all suicidal acts. So I think the more we talk about it, the better. I am wary that it's like kind of a fear. April 20th is bad. But I, I don't, you know, I'm not a organizer. I've never done social activism. I mean, I've done a few things, but um, I just think it's like, yeah, whether it's the marijuana issue, whether you just don't want to go to work that day, it's like we could, we could spread this. You know, this is why, you know, free speech is being attacked. Ideas are dangerous. It doesn't take that many people to start a social movement. You know, listen to people like Ralph Nader. We got to force our representatives to do things. <laughs> well, he says, he says 1%. <laughs> Earth Day is that weekend, so we can make it an Earth Day, Weed Day, whatever day you want to <laughs> make it. Has anybody looked at why April is so dangerous? Oh, there we go. Wait, let me bring the microphone to you. Oh. <laughs> Ruby Ridge, Waco, Unabomber, you know, all these. It's all happening in April. Yeah. Um, I don't care. Uh, you know, Eric Byrne would say, get well, analyze later. It is dangerous. There's plenty of information online. Who cares? We should do something about it. Uh, I mean, you could argue, you know, it's, it gets warmer, people coming out of winter or things, but I don't, I don't know exactly. Other than this date specifically is, is people simulating the Columbine. Is there any data um, collected that uh, families or parents, even maybe even students and teachers, faculty, that um, want their children to be homeschooled? I mean, are we getting to the, I know we're getting back to the schools and stuff like that, but because of this stuff, is there any data um, stating that people are seriously like in fear and don't want to be in school? And if that's the case, do you think that uh, governments behind that too, bigger agenda. Not conspiracy theory. No, no, no. The, no, the push is is privatization. So charter schools, more regulation. Um, I don't know the numbers on on homeschooling uh, specifically, or if that's if that's on the rise. But um, the data to start with, if you're interested in this issue, I would say would be the Violence Project. Um, if if you want the numbers, if you want the um, the big view uh, politically of what's going on, I would pay attention to these two. I could give you a list of people to pay attention to, but um, Franco Berardi has a book called Heroes, um, and he talks about mass murder, suicide, and he talks a lot about how financial capitalism is just this social Darwinian, um, you know, survival of the fittest um, kind of thing, and that these these people like Dylan and Eric and uh, the Virginia Tech guy or whoever, you know, they, they want to be winners. And so they, instead of the kill or be killed, it's kill and be killed. Is because they're suicidal acts, but they get that infamy in the moment, uh, which doesn't make sense rationally because they die um, in the end. And so uh, this, is the, this is the problem with the kind of immediate... Um, news that we have and the personalized news and how it's instantaneous you're going to have you're he talks about you're always going to have violence so i'm not trying to say oh it's more violent now or it's we're you know we're all going to die it's scary there's always been violence and mass violence but it's connected directly to the medium you know the medium is the message it's not the newspaper anymore um so 
these two uh, writers are really good if you want um, other perspectives on it. Uh, I don't know if this is a practical uh, question or not, but I like the stay-at-home idea. Um, a lot of the trainings that you know I've gone to on mass shootings, and I realize your training was quite a bit different than those, um, they kind of teach you practical steps in a mass shooting to run, hide, and fight. And I was just wondering, is there any kind of movement or push or um, possibility, you know, in terms of critical mass of people flipping that to fight first, like a swarm tactics? Mm -hmm. I think that, that could disrupt the transaction in terms of, you know, the top guns getting wrestled by a bunch of arm, unarmed people, you know, would be kind of undermine their... Yeah. I don't know if, if people are putting out different ideas with that, but the, the issue with any of that training is when you're um, experiencing terror and powerlessness, you don't think rationally. So most people run right into the shooter. They run right at them. Uh, so we can train all day. I mean, this doesn't answer your question, but I got trained in hypnosis a few years ago, and one of the trainers was saying how they do hypnosis with kindergarten kids, and that all these kindergarten kids were anxious. Believe it or not, they were doing these active shooter drills, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, we could do hypnosis on every kid. These drills don't make people any safer. And again, if, if, there, if somebody walks in here, it's pandemonium, right? You don't, you don't think rationally. Your critical thinking goes way down. You panic. Uh, and so uh, I think it's making us feel all the more impotent, you know, ironically, is to be prepared for everything. It's, it's like uh, everything is about survival. Nothing is about how should we actually live. Like, what kind of society do we want? What do we, it's all just like, let's make these models a little bit better or improve them. So if we have active shooters, well, there's a whole industry of trainers, you know, making money off of t teaching people how to do stuff. And I think it's, it's totally the wrong approach, but it's just gonna keep going unless we really push back, mobilize against it. What, what is, again, just more privatization, private um, trainings, you know, charter schools, uh, of course, our healthcare system is already there, but what other questions do people have? So my question is, you give us all this interest, interesting information and all this great stuff to kind of piecemeal together, but what do you recommend as social service workers for us here if we see these young males that are agitated? How do we deal with them and who do we report them to and what do we do with them if we if we find out that these are people that we think are going to start doing this stuff, do we just call the police? Or mm -hmm, I, mean, mm -hmm. I don't have a big background in this stuff, so I don't even know where I even begin. I mean, I know mandated reporting is one thing, but that takes forever. Mm -hmm. That question. Well, see, that's that's the. Uh the culture, right? It's all about me and what do I do as an individual? We, we can't do anything. We're completely powerless on this issue. But to acknowledge that, that you're powerless, but that if we come together, if we mobilize, but look what they're doing in France. France, they try to raise the retirement age two years and they're all in the street. 
you know, so, <laughs> I mean, what you do when somebody's agitated is you are calm around them and you talk to them and you try and get them to talk and how are you feeling, you know, you know, like you, everybody knows agitation. So we need to move towards that in a, in, with feminine energy in the sense of um, being receptive and calm. And, uh, you know, if you, if you go to this website, it's like, zen the fuck out. That's what, <laughs> that's what we need to do. <laughs> I mean, teaching kids meditation is what, is what I would like to see. Not, social emotional learning is so individualistic and it's all about me and my ability to be good at managing my emotions. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's, it, it entrenches this idea that we just gotta, what can I do? you know, compost piles and things. Those are good to do for the environment. But what we need to do is, is take down these oil companies. I mean, you know, that, that's who's contaminating the environment. And so it isn't a me issue, it's a we issue. And I, I certainly do not know what the steps are uh, in terms of if you run into somebody that's agitated, but I would ask them if they need help. And, you know, uh, people that are suicidal, um, say that if you know when they when they didn't commit suicide somebody connected with them and that made the difference so making eye contact with people versus looking at that glass in front of you these are things you can do but i, I want to emphasize the social um, aspect of it and i'm happy to take more questions i just wanted to put up the last you know summary and again i can send these um these slides out as well um, so I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit to the talking about, like, if we talk about this, is it going to give people the idea? And I just want to talk about, like, two events in American history that have been so impactful. And I'm not comparing them, but, you know, we have 9-11, which we recognize every single year, and we talk about it. And I just want to understand, what's the difference in the stigma about talking and recognizing this event, but not talking about this event and the shootings and Columbine and stuff like that? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because there, there was a huge response from the state with 9-11. And what was it? Censorship, uh, regulating the information, control over the individual, you know, the theater at the airports. We've just habituated that we basically strip down naked when we go to California or wherever. You know, they're not going to remove those things. That's the thing. Is like, yeah, if, you, if, we, if everybody was talking about Columbine, uh, you'd have to talk about how nothing has changed since Columbine, that, and that's the despair, that's the hopelessness um, that we can imagine, but we can imagine new ways of being and come together to make these changes. I think there's a hand up in the back. If, oh, okay. Hi, I, was, I work in schools, I've worked with young children for many years, and my concern is all of these shooter um, drills, and how much anxiety and fear is the of my mom's cat and my sister's dogs and stuff, trying to mitigate 
that, that I wonder, what else can there be done? Because to me, that's the real issue I'm seeing. These kids are terrified. They don't want to go to school because they're afraid they're going to be shot. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. And you know, the Columbine, the kids are in, barricaded in their classroom. They're watching CNN on TV to see what's happening. Parkland 2018, they, um, you know, it's social media, but the, the first thought is it's a drill or it's fake. Okay, so now when it happens, so, so what does that tell you? It's unconscious. It doesn't matter if we're fucking talking about it or not. Everybody in the school is aware that people are coming into schools and shooting. I mean, it's there. It's, it's part of the, the you know, larger consciousness of the, the culture. So um, I, you know, I've approached the school system where I'm at, um, haven't really gotten anywhere. And, and their, their response is basically threat assessment reviews, which means we're going to wait. We're going to wait until something comes up. Okay, so they're not gonna they're not gonna have big educational campaigns or community events. This is what I would suggest. The director of Goodwill Hunting, I can't remember his name, but he has a movie Elephant that's about a school shooting. Like we could easily get large amounts of people to come together in the community and watch that and cry and talk about how we feel about that's not gonna place ideas in people's head. I don't think you know, these are many of these shootings are are, you know, they they research, they do R&D for like a year. So it's already in you know, the shooter's head. Uh, but there's, there's things we can do, like community type things versus more, I see it as more surveillance. So a kid writes about a gun on Instagram and then he has to see the psychologist. I mean, is that really gonna make a change in any of this? I, I don't think so. But they're, you know, the people in, in power, in these power positions, this is why I'm so compelled to teach Subversion and surprise, this was the name of the podcast. Is it's like everybody that's in charge will tell you they're the smartest person in the world and they know what they're doing. They don't. They're trying to maintain their position. We need to teach undermining that. I'm not saying violence, but uh, undermining uh, authority. That's what I prescribe my patients in the sense of this parent state in their head that tells them to strive harder and work harder and be perfect and all that stuff. You have to disobey that part. That's from your external conditioning. That's what society is telling you, is to make yourself into a brand. And so they don't rest. They don't experience joy. You know, this is, we're talking about a whole generation. And the response is med management. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable at how inept the people in power are in terms of dealing with this issue. They'll only throw money at it if they can get money back. So mental health, well, there's a, all kinds of data and, and information. There was a, a question in the back. Oh, you got it. Okay. Um, so once again, thank you for this topic. Such a hard topic. You did it so well. You're welcome. You two hours of this, but uh, thank you for the way you delivered it. Uh, on the subject of uh, 420, do it. Honestly, I really feel like um, it's the same thing with CRT. We want to switch things on the raw and avoid avoidance and solution. We want to talk about it where weddings were raised. Uh, my question is around the, cinema, the cinematization of these tragic events. Uh, what responsibility does the media have in terms of glorifying these perpetrators that's committing these atrocities in lower pain? Yeah, good question. I mean, the, <clears throat> Dave Cullen, who's done so much research on this, describes it. Um, I think more so in Parkland because he focuses on the movement. But it's a no-brainer. You don't put the guy's picture up. You don't say his name. You don't do any of that. Of course they do it. 
they show the picture in the trial, like the, you can see the trial of the Parkland killer and then DeSantis thinks we should execute him. You know, I mean, it, it, is, it is cinema for sure. Um, yeah, so I would, I would say these, these media companies are culpable. I would say big tech is culpable. I mean, you know, it's, it's tricky because like the other gentleman asked, it's like, you know, some of this technology is useful, obviously, but that doesn't mean we have to like and be nice to the people that are in charge of it, people like Bill Gates. I mean, no, these are, these are complete psychopaths that want the status quo to stay as it is, and they want this binary world of man, woman, and it's a white man's world is what they want. And so we have to teach people, to, and we can't do it intellectually. That's why I started out with the confession. I wanted to hit you on the emotional level. Like you, you have to get in touch with that, uh, that fire in your belly around doing something. And, and if, if everybody goes to school on 420, I don't care. If the whole United States goes on a national strike, I don't care. My issue is I have to protect my kids. It's my responsibility that they don't get hurt, okay? So if I send them to school on 420 and there's a shooting, that's my responsibility. That's not the school's responsibility. And so I'm gonna go to a school board meeting on Monday and I might use less curse words than I did tonight. <laughs> but I'm gonna say the same thing is what the are you gonna do about this? And they're gonna say, hmm, uh, nothing. <laughs> you know, Just like with the, I, I mentioned the, the person that committed suicide at the high school in my town. I have clients that are in that high school and so they tell me, they didn't do anything. They didn't talk about it. There were no big meetings. There was no like coming together. They acted like it didn't happen and they didn't tell them until a couple days later who it even was. So you go to school and you're like, which one of my friends is dead? I don't even know. And they said it was like a medical you know, issues so they didn't disclose it. They're covering their ass. This is what people in power do. Um, the, the thing I'm working on, and maybe I'll come back next year and talk about it, is uh, these fascistic games because they're just regular games taken to a different level. Uh, so I'm using games people play by Eric Byrne as a template for a book on, uh, you know, essentially what we're talking about now. The mass shooter is this, it's a fascistic kind of act. It's a, a forced symbiosis. When you have a, a gun and you point at somebody, they have to be in a relationship with you. It's a forced symbiosis. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, any, I think there was more. What are your thoughts on those parental control apps for media on your phones? We, as a case manager, one of the most things for um, preventing exploitation was like the Bark app. I don't, mm. I don't use it, I mean, I've recommended it, but what, what is your input or thoughts on these apps that are supposed to help parents monitor what their kids are looking at on social media? Yeah. An app to manage the app. That's what I think about it. <laughs> More money for the apps. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm a parent and I'm aware of how many hours parents are working, how stressed they are, so it's very difficult, but it's going to have to come from within the family system because again, these apps, they're happy to help. Oh, let us monitor that, which means we're going to make money off that data and then we're going to target your kid so it's, it's really going to have to be, I think, training, you know, on one level training and mobilization, but then training our kids, you know, like I asked about the smartwatches, like they, they don't even know how this technology works, <laughs> let alone what it's doing to them. So we need to just educate them to educate themselves. Everything that I've shared with you, of course, I talk with my clients and I talk with friends. 
but I just read compulsively. And so I'm just saying things that I've read in these books. I have no clue what the, the silver bullet answers are. I'm just presenting what I have figured out thus far, but I'm you know, a dog on a bone with it for very selfish reasons, and we need to do something about it. We are over time. So we need to officially end this workshop. But if you're willing to stick around, if folks have questions, um, so go up to Andrew and ask. Also, you're free to put questions on the Cuba app, and I don't know if you have that, but there are questions on there okay. um, that you can answer afterwards. But thank you. Yeah,